Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Jules Lipoff. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Pennsylvania. Today, we're going to be talking about vaccines, and I'm blessed to have two wonderful guests. I have Dr. George Ruza, the outgoing president of the AAD, and Dr. Esther Freeman, a dermatologist from Massachusetts General Hospital, both of whom, who along with me, are on the AAD's ad hoc COVID-19 task force. So Dr. Ruza and Dr. Freeman are, are experts in the Academy's guidance for managing COVID and I have incredible work. I've been privileged to work with both of them. Thank you both for joining me today. Great, thank you. Our pleasure, glad to be here. So uh, I wanna go ahead and acknowledge that one of the great things that Dr. Freeman has spearheaded has been a registry collecting uh, skin reactions to COVID and vaccines. So we've been focusing a lot on vaccines and Dr. Ruza has been an integral component of that as well. Maybe I'll start with you, Dr. Freeman. Why, as dermatologists, should we be talking to our patients about vaccines? Is that outside of our scope or is it central to our role as doctors? Yeah, thanks, Jules. I think it's really important for us as dermatologists to realize that we have a role um, very much in the pandemic and now in terms of stopping a pandemic with vaccinations. And so even though we may not be giving the vaccinations ourselves in our clinics, I think we still have a really important role. You have to remember that as a dermatologist, you're really a trusted physician and part of a, you know, an important role in your patient's lives. And so I think, you know, one thing we were asked to talk about today is the concept around vaccine hesitancy or why people might not be willing to get a vaccine. So I actually ask all of my patients if they've gotten the vaccine and if they haven't, I think the really important, so I think the first step is, you know, being willing to talk to your patients about the vaccine. The second step is just to ask them why. And I know we don't have a lot of time in our dermatology visits. No one's kind of sitting down for an hour with their patients and we're certainly not their primary care provider. But you keep in mind, a lot of times you have a great relationship with your patients. You may be seeing them, you know, chronically for many issues over their lives. And so you may have a pretty strong relationship with, with a lot of your patients. So I think it's helpful to really ask patients why they may not have gotten the COVID vaccination if they haven't. And I think that's really important because we can't really assume the reason. It might be a very practical reason that you might be able to help solve. So it might be that they haven't had access to it. It's been hard for them to get out of work. They can't figure out where to get it. It might be that a family member has gotten a vaccine, had a side effect, and they may need some further counseling regarding that. Or it could be political or, or motivated by misinformation. So I think your response to, you know, to talking to your patients about the vaccine probably depends very much on where they're coming from and, and what their reason is for why. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is your role is not necessarily to try to convince them, you know, during your derm visit as you're doing your mole check that they need to get the vaccine by the end of the visit, but you can be a step in the pathway. And so they're probably talking to lots of people about the vaccine and hearing from you and your personal experience can be very valuable to them. So you're, you don't necessarily have to convince them all in one go, but hearing from you is really important. And I, I'm always willing to kind of share my own personal experience. You know, I share that, for example, in my family, we actually have, you know, we have three adults and all three of us have gotten different vaccines. We have one Moderna, one Pfizer, one J&J. I share that my son, who's five, is actually a participant in phase one clinical trials. 
for Pfizer for little kids. And I share that even though I'm studying a lot of vaccine side effects uh, worldwide, I was not, you know, hesitant, in fact, very encouraged to have him be part of the phase one dose finding trial for Pfizer. So I think sometimes these personal details can be helpful. I think that's great. Like, uh, I, I like that idea of really asking why. And uh, I, I think I just was watching this, this television show, uh, Ted Lasso. I don't know if you've watched it on Apple, but one thing he mentions in an episode is it's important to be curious, not judgmental. And yeah. I think that really gets at that, like asking why, not how come you haven't, but why. And in my own practice, I think I've made a point of asking why. And I mean, there's a lot of similar hesitancy sometimes like, well, I was just waiting to see. And I try to offer acknowledgement of those feelings. Like, I think it was very reasonable to feel that way when it was new. But now that millions of people have gotten it, I think it's, it's time to do it. And by the way, we have a free walk-in clinic across the street at the hospital in these hours and not making too much of a point about it. And I think that's a great point, Jules, about you mentioned one group that is the wait and see group. I think the tendency is to label people who have not gotten a vaccine entirely as vaccine hesitant. And I think we have to keep in mind that this group of patients who have not gotten the vaccine, we can call them the unvaccinated, are not necessarily a monolith. This is not a, a uniform group of people. I think, you know, one, whether you're a lumper or a splitter, I tend to group people in larger categories. I think one way to think about this is, is people who are in the wait and see category, like you mentioned, and those patients you may be able to more easily convince or at least have a conversation with versus what's called the definitely not category. And those patients may have other political opinions that may be harder to address. And if you look at the statistics over time in the U.S. about who makes up these different groups, the definitely not groups, this is patients who say no matter what, they would not take the vaccine. This stayed actually relatively stable over time. It's, it's approximately about 13% of the U.S. population. But if you look at the wait and see group, this is actually changing over time. The definitely not group tends to be a little bit more white, tends to be a little bit more Republican, whereas the wait and see group has tended to be more black, Hispanic, and, and split politically. And, and this group it has been, you know, thankfully shrinking over time. But I think this is the group we may be able to take that question. Great. So Dr. Haruza, I want to get you into this conversation. You having the experience of being a leader of the AAD, what do you think the AADs or other organizations similar should be in uh, promoting vaccination and discussing it publicly? Well, uh, of course, it's really important to get, uh, get, the, uh, get the facts out so that then you can then, when you speak individually with patients, you kind of have sort of an authority that has been good that way. Unfortunately, a lot of our various organizations, pundits on TV, through media, in the social media area, as well as our public health officials have changed some of their story over time. And that has led, I think, to patients uh, or individuals potential, the ones that haven't vaccinated, to really not know what the answer is. And they don't, they kind of tune out when they hear something coming from supposed authorities. So we can get the information out there. And I think the AAD along with AMA have been involved in that and, and sharing the information. But it comes to what Esther has been saying is that it ultimately comes to the individual connection. At least in my office, I certainly, and I've had, um, we don't require vaccinations in our office, but we did have two staff members who were not interested in getting the vaccine. 
And I was able to convince one of them, not convince, but basically, as Esther mentioned, listening to her. And she, she explained to me that her concern was that she would get a bad side effect because she's had other vaccines and bad side effects. But ultimately, the fact that everybody in the office and I said, I took it and I'm comfortable and I, I understand their side effect issues. I mean, I have a brother-in-law had kept Guillain-Barre from a vaccine. He still ended up getting the COVID vaccine, fortunately, without any problems. And she ultimately was comfortable with that, uh, talking about the, the potential issues. She did take it in the middle of the week and she did get sick for two days. So she was out for two days. So we kind of, even though we warn people about that, but I have one other staff member that has not gotten vaccinated still in spite of several months. The difficulty is in their case, you know, it's confidential. They can decide not to tell you why they may be hesitant. And so that's been a challenge. And I even have a case in my family where everybody's gotten it, but my oldest daughter won't get it because she's been... Uh, a little bit but some of that information that's out there that's that's misleading so she's worried about some potential side effect that may happen down the road new vaccines and that kind of stuff and she's even in the healthcare field so some people you just are not going to make progress but i i think it comes down to an individual connection because yes physicians and dermatologists we see a lot of patients in a day more so than many other specialists so we are really able to impact that and we have maybe we have a lot of patients that have been there for many years and so it's kind of like if i say that i've taken the vaccine i've done the vaccine many of them will say well if it's okay for you then you know uh, i'll i'll accept your recommendation i think that's really great we need to be um when it comes down to it, it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation and we can we it's good to take these public positions as organizations but it's in that patient uh, physician relationship that matters. Dad, one thing to what Hirza was saying was that he made the point about being an employer. So, you know, many dermatologists are employers themselves of larger staff members. And one thing the data has shown us is that if employers are willing to give people time off to get vaccination and are willing to be supportive of vaccination and have policies in place regarding staff vaccinations, rather than just kind of a wait and see approach or not being clear about what the policy is if people have experienced side effects and need to be out of work for a few days, that employees are actually much more willing to get vaccinated if there is a good employer policy in place. I think it's wonderful that Dr. Kruzel is really taking an active role with his employees. And I think his, obviously Dr. Kruzel has taken a great and active role in terms of practice management overall when it comes to COVID-19. So I wanted to follow up with you, Dr. Freeman. You said something earlier about having looked at all of this data showing side effects from the vaccine. You found that actually reassuring and, and gave you no hesitance in taking it yourself. Can you explain more about how the data from the registry and other sources has been reassuring? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's interesting, kind of the more I learn, it, it's the opposite of what you would expect as someone who's really spending, you know, a lot of my time right now on vaccine side effects. Um, you would think that I would be getting increasingly concerned. And in fact, it's the opposite. I'm actually getting increasingly reassured the more data that I look at. So at this point, we've analyzed over 800 different COVID-19 vaccine skin manifestations from around the world and skin reactions, I should say, that have been put in by physicians and other healthcare providers into the AAD and the ILDS 
COVID-19 registry. And certainly I want to thank everyone for putting in cases who has put them in. It takes about four to five minutes to enter a case. And it's de-identified, so we don't ask um, for your patient's identity. We do have your contact information in case we need to follow up on a case. Um, as a physician entering a case, we don't ask for details of the, the patient. So I certainly would encourage if you do see a vaccine um, side effect in the skin, please do report it. Um, but as I mentioned, we've reviewed at this point over 800 skin reactions to the COVID vaccines. And this is included, I'd say, primarily the mRNA vaccines um, being Pfizer and Moderna. And primarily our data is coming from the U.S., but we are increasingly getting reports from other vaccinations, such as, for example, AstraZeneca coming from other countries as well. And we're certainly working with our colleagues around the world to increase representation. But looking at these reactions, I'd say the most common reactions of the 800 that we've analyzed so far include local injection site reactions, the delayed large local reactions that we primarily see with mRNA vaccinations, including with Moderna. And then we're also seeing a frequent urticaria uh, and morbilliform eruptions. And then there's a lot of other reactions we're seeing a little bit less frequently, such as pityriasis rosea-like reactions and other more popular and plaque eruptions that can happen. So overall, looking at these, um, what's been great is that our patients tend to have, there's very little anaphylaxis reported. And if you look at some of the larger studies in JAMA, not necessarily in dermatology, but one of my colleagues, Dr. Kim Blumenthal at MGH, has published a lot on vaccine anaphylaxis in the real world. She looked at some over 60,000 Massachusetts General Hospital employees. And the anaphylaxis rates are incredibly low. So I think that's very reassuring. We saw that in the trials as well. But then when you look at these skin side effects, really our patients recover and do quite well. And so often it's a matter of reassurance and and time and saying, you know, I, we know that your body mounted a, a pretty robust reaction to the vaccine. That's not necessarily a bad thing. And, you know, this will go away. I mean, I think there's some reactions that, that can last a little bit longer, but I think overall being able to be reassuring that we've seen people really recover and recover well. And that, you know, I talked to my patients about the bottom line. If your choice is you know, there's this very small risk that you are going to have a temporary, annoying, but temporary side effect from this vaccine versus protection from a life-threatening virus. You know, I would definitely go with the vaccine. So the more data I look at, the more reassured I am. So uh, maybe I can just step a little bit on the on the side effect issue, because that's, I know my daughter, that was her concern, these potential side effects. And so we, you know, with the thing about side effects is, of course they are, but the numbers and that doesn't always reassure people but it's like you count them up it's probably one in a million of the more significant ones like the myocarditis we've been hearing about and the other thing is almost all those cases are self-limited so they get better the thrombosis is much more serious that happened in women younger women that had the vaccine and of course that's concerning but it's again it's in the millions one in millions also just as i was talking as esther was talking i realized the reason my daughter says she's not getting the vaccine for these potential side effects was ultimately, she said, because her physician says that she shouldn't get it or does not need to get it. So so she, uh, she trusted her physician more than me. And so unfortunately, he was on the wrong side <laughs> of, the, of the equations. And so the physicians, we really have a lot of power, a lot of strength. So what kind of misinformation are you hearing most? I mean, I know there's misinformation about effects on fertility. And are there a specific piece of misinformation you think physicians, dermatologists should be aware of? Well, other than fertility, it's more the unknown because this is a, 
the argument that I've heard is uh, that because it's an mRNA vaccine, which is a whole new way of doing vaccines, so we've never had one of these, so we have no idea what's going to happen. And of course, when you then hear things like, oh, it's very safe, very safe, everything's great, and all of a sudden, you put it in the younger males, and then some of them have myocarditis, well, that's scary, and then all of a sudden, people get all worked up. So it's more the unknown. I think the misinformation, uh, not misinformation, but it's it's just that it's the unknown. It's like this, well, this is a whole new thing. And 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 we don't know what it's going to do I mean, in five or 10 years. And of course we won't, but that's, so at least that's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing. A couple of things that I like to, to talk to people about when it comes to the, the unknown or the concept, this is such a new vaccine, is I point out that this has and not to just maybe you know, convince your daughter, Dr. Ruzza, but, but in general, um, <laughs> as I point out that this has really been a technology that's been under development for 10 years. And so while it may seem fast, it's almost like what we witnessed was like the stepping over the finish line of a process that's been going on for a really, really long time. So I think that's one thing to point out is that this technology has, has been really under, you know, under development for such a long time. And that I think the other point that's helpful is looking at some of the vaccine data is that most significant side effects from vaccines really happen in the first few months after vaccination. It's incredibly rare to have, you know, unpredicted side effects that occur from a vaccine many, many years later. And so I think that's also reassuring. Right. One, one other, and the other thing can also often say that, you know, that still this vaccine may have had more people in the testing phase than many other vaccines that we've had. So, um, uh, I, I thought that is, you know, that's also can be reassuring. The other thing that some people use, but I think that's just an argument. Well, gee, it's under a emergency use authorization and it's not really f- approved yet. And so that's another one that comes up. One other item we haven't talked a little bit about is the concept that some healthcare, some employers do mandate uh, vaccines for all their employees. And there was a case in Texas where the hospital one court case where they actually can do mandatory vaccinations and then 150 employees either resigned or were terminated because of that. Now, in our office, we don't mandate it, but we do, for example, ask the one staff member that has not been vaccinated to continue wearing an N95 mask at all times because for their protection, really, because N95 masks may provide some protection to the individual that's at risk. And I would add, like, for example, at Massachusetts General Hospital, we've just received an email this past week. And I realized, actually, I should date when we're talking to you because the COVID information changes so quickly. So today is July 1st. By the time you're hearing this, we could be in a whole world of different places with the Delta variant. And, it's, you know, the COVID world is changing so quickly. I think it's always good to mention when we're actually having this conversation. So July 1, 2021, and we just received a message from Massachusetts General Hospital that they will be requiring uh, COVID-19 vaccinations in order to work at MGH. And this is kind of in line with their other policies. We're actually also required to have the flu vaccine. So like Dr. Herza was mentioning, I think this is going to be occurring more and more. And, and Massachusetts General Hospital is an extremely large employer, our healthcare network um, in the state of Massachusetts. The, the University of Pennsylvania, for instance, first it was all employees in the health system. And now they've required, I believe, all faculty and students for the entire university to be vaccinated, to participate on campus. So I think there's a, a tipping point that as these schools, universities, employers start requiring it, it's being broadly accepted that that's going to be the way things are. And I think that will hopefully push some people on the fence to go ahead and do it. 
but it remains a challenge. But I think I'm incredibly in debt and thankful for the work that both of you have done on these collaborative papers and studies of vaccines and uh, COVID skin reactions in general. I want to try to wrap this up. So I want to ask both of you if you have any final take-home messages that you'd like to share. Dr. Haruza, any last words? Just, uh, you know, get vaccinated. I mean, the, the risk benefit is so much in favor of getting a vaccine. There's really very little good reason not to get vaccinated. Dr. Freeman? Yeah, I would say, you know, talk to your patients about vaccination. You may not be able to convince them in one visit, but we're, as dermatologists, we're excellent at multitasking. And so just having a conversation, an open and honest conversation with your patients about vaccination while you're examining them or doing something else can go a long way in moving their needle in terms of getting vaccinated if they are not vaccinated. And the last thing I would say is please do, if you see vaccine skin reactions, we're still collecting data. We're still learning so much about how these occur. We would encourage you to put your data into the AAD ILDS COVID-19 Dermatology Registry um, into our vaccination module. The web address is www.aad.org backslash COVID registry. And we appreciate the data. And I think one thing to think about is that this is not really going to be going away as we look at variants and we look at the possibility of boosters in the future. I think the data that we're putting into the registry will be very helpful for us in counseling our patients who, for example, might have had a reaction to, you know, dose one of the vaccine and later on they're going to be wondering about how to deal with boosters. So I think that the more data we have, the, the better informed we can keep our patients. Great messages. I really appreciate both of your time. This has been uh, an excellent episode about vaccines here on Dialogues in Dermatology. Thank you all for your time and please join us with future episodes. This has been Dr. Jules Lipoff. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Jules. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to Dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.